Hi, this is Randy Brill, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best. Like me, I'm sure you've met many creative people in your lifetime and who have creative friends who are able to go on and have great insights and come up with new ideas, but they don't quite unlock how it works. They aren't able to explain or overcome the intimidation factor of creativity. My next guest, Randy Brill, author of 99 Creative Wows for Business, is able to do that. She's both creative and able to explain it so it becomes more accessible and more usable to each of us as business owners who are looking to apply creativity to effectively use creativity in our designs and our internal and external communications in order to support the message and reach our audiences more effectively. That is invaluable. And that's what Randy spends her time doing with different creativity labs, with different design projects, and a whole host of other things that you'll hear about in the interview. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Randy Brill. As the founder and chief executive officer, Randy leads the QuaraCore design agency in Chicago. Randy is the creativity lab guru who leads his team from macro to micro, shaping the big ideas and the details that transform them. She's written 99 Creative Wows, Words of Wisdom for Business. Welcome, Randy. Hi, it's great to be here, Bill. Thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure. I really enjoyed your book and wanted to ask you if growing up there was a role model, mentor, or source of inspiration that helped put you in touch with the value that your creativity brings. Well, that's a very easy answer, Bill, because it was my mother. My Mm. mother taught me from the time I was old enough to hold a crayon two things. Number one, Randy Brill, you can be anything you want to be, anything you set your mind to. And number two, young lady, you better be able to figure out how to earn your own living. And those were her two mantras ingrained in me from the very beginning. And she also had a refrigerator where every single piece of artwork that I did was refrigerator worthy. Now, the reason that's so important is because I think sometimes, you know, I may have had other talents beyond how well I colored, but I really genuinely believe that what what gets reinforced and what gets positive reinforcement is an area we pursue. And I just colored from the very beginning, very rarely staying between the lines, Bill, but mm. I knew I had to provide for my own livelihood And I knew I liked to make things from the very beginning. I also had some amazing professors and teachers, which is why I have the other company I have today, which recognizes and acknowledges teachers for the amazing work that they do. That's a business-to-consumer company. And I really learned from the beginning to trust my instincts, use my talent, And the third piece from a very smart professor who said to my mother one day, they were at one of those parent visitation days, and my mother said, oh, Mr. Joyce, the children in this room, these pre-college students, they're so talented, every single one of them. And he said, yeah, they're all going to end up working for your daughter. And my mother said, really? Her drawing doesn't look nearly as nice as that young man's over there. And he said, No, Mrs. Brill, it isn't, but the point is your daughter has the mouth. And that 
taught me that I had another piece of ammunition, which was to use my voice and speak up about work and creativity. So those are my role models. That kind of gives you a little a little color of what that was about in the early years. And I know color is very important. It certainly is, and they're all my favorites. Randy, when you start thinking about earning your own living, what was one of the first jobs that you had oh, or well, something you got I, paid for? Well, well, okay, there are a lot of ways to get paid. I was a remarkable right. babysitter. I earned 25 cents an hour. My brother and I actually sold autographs on my cast when I was nine years old, and that went very well until we were put out of business by that same mother who said, you cannot operate without a license on the second floor. Give it back. But there was always this entrepreneurial bent, this, this I don't know, drive to, to do those things. My, when I was 14 years old, I was, I was a calligrapher. I started addressing invitations, and I would charge 50 cents an envelope, and I started saving money for college that way. Um, my mother always told the story that when I was 14, we, we were somewhere, and evidently someone said, and what are you going to be when you grow up, young lady? And I evidently, I don't remember this, Bill, but I remember my mother telling it so many times it feels real. She said, you looked at this woman straight in the eye and you said, oh, I'm going to be in charge of something. And you moved right on. Now, not much else turned out exactly as I planned at 14, but that piece did. I had a company in my bedroom. I did all kinds of freelance design work when I was in high school and college to put myself through college called Thumbprint Graphics. I was terribly proud of my tagline, which was because your graphics should be as unique as your thumbprint. I mean, now I rather shudder at that, but it was the early kernel of that entrepreneurial creativity because creativity for entrepreneurs and in business is different than art for art's sake, and fine artistry. It's very much driven by to solve business strategy and problems. That's a point I'd like to dive in a little bit deeper with you on, Randy, because many people listening to this are running businesses and they're running from here to there. And when good design works, what are some of the characteristics or features that somebody realizes that without good design, they are missing out on? Well, first of all, one of my big rules of thumb when working with with any kind of a, of a business concern, I don't have a sense when, when our team goes in, I don't always know their level of creative problem solving, their level of design finesse. Some have internal departments. Some say, my wife picked blue. I mean, you know, it runs the gamut. But the, the critical aspect of this is knowing what problem we're trying to solve. Design, when it's done well, enhances whatever the content and message needs to be. When design is not done well, it's decorating. There's a very big difference between, oh, I want it to look attractive and I want it to be eye-catching. That's not design. That's decorating. If you understand your core message, whatever that product, service, or business DNA is there to deliver, as a creative design team, it's our job to ask you questions to extract that vision and then bring graphic vision and messaging vision and digital vision 
to that challenge so that others can catch it in a banner ad drive-by or on a billboard or in a piece of collateral so that that messaging is really, really clear. We, we basically, as good designers, simplify and distill very complex things. That's what I do. I'm a map maker. I draw pictures. When people say to me, well, this is the process we use, I draw it. And when I say, is this what you said? And sometimes in a room I'll get three people who say, yeah, that's it, and four that say, oh, no, no, that's not it at all. Then we can begin to deconstruct and have the real conversation. So sometimes, many times, certainly for my companies, design is a tool to help identify what we're really there to do. Most times people call us to solve something that isn't really the real problem yet because they can't see the problem yet. Sometimes we have to help them dig in to articulate that clearly. Did that make sense to you, or did I just have a little monologue there? Well, what I got from that is something that's often very clear is that people don't always know. They know something's wrong and that they suspect it might have something to do with the way that they're messaging or the way that their design is supporting or not supporting the message. And you know what? That's okay. That's enough. I don't mean to cut you off. That's enough to just have an inkling that something's off. All right, you don't have a medical degree, and I don't have a medical degree. But when we feel something's a little bit off, we go to the doctors. Same thing here. You don't have to tell us what to do. You just have to give us a sense of what doesn't feel right or what you're shooting for. And that's interesting because people know instinctively they don't have to diagnose themselves before they go to a doctor. So they shouldn't think that they have to have that higher expectation of knowing exactly what's wrong before they go to a design team. Well, and the other thing is I think sometimes we think as business owners, and I put myself in this same boat, even though I'm a creativity expert, it's so hard when you are in your business to look at your business. You know, we've all mm-hmm. heard working on the business, not in the business, which I think is a lovely thing to be able to aspire to. I, I usually mess that up every Tuesday. But <laughs> the key is to be able to feel confident enough. You know, sometimes when I have a brand-new designer, they'll think they know more than our client does. And I will very often find myself saying, you know what, you have very strong mastery for a new designer of your creativity toolkit. You have a really good sense of color and font and layout and and animation and user experience. This is a wonderful toolkit to have. What you don't have and will never have is the understanding about the challenge in our lab that our client has. They are the experts on their stuff. We bring our expertise to them. And the key difference here is nobody should feel intimidated in everyone should respect what the other people are bringing to the table. Your creativity lab, I think, is something that a lot of business owners are are intrigued by. Can you describe an example of a company that that came to the lab and what they were struggling with when they set up the appointment and how they exited after the lab process completed? Well, absolutely. First of all, a lab is – it's longer then a, lab, a typical lab runs about two days, plus an awful lot of prep on the front end, and a lab is only as effective 
as the work that company is committed to doing after the lab is over. I mean, you've all seen these awesome retreats where people go and everyone's really excited. Nobody looks at email. Nobody does a text message. You come back from that. They fly home, and then, boom, they forget about it till the next time they're asked about it. That's one of the reasons our creativity labs work so well is because we do the upfront work with and for our clients. We bring them into the lab, which I do the lab roadshow where I go to the clients or the clients come to us. And then at the end, we build in safety nets so that everybody does their actionable items and they really do achieve results. I can give you an example. In the educational publishing sector, an area where we work very extensively, because frankly, if you can help create products where kids are learning and teachers are teaching and education is moving, you can solve a lot of other business challenges, and that was that was where I cut my teeth. So we do a lot in the education space, and this was for one multinational educational publisher, and we happened to be working with their Midwest office group to launch a brand-new iteration of a program for kindergarten through fifth grade. And there were some challenges with this program that everybody was not on the same page some of them weren't even in the book. Some of them had very different objectives for this, and we were approached to create what they wanted to call, not creativity lab, but kind of a workshop environment where we could all go in, we created an agenda, we led them through a process to help them walk out of this meeting with very clear messaging about what this program was going to become in the marketplace, how it was going to address market needs, how that was going to manifest itself, what it was going to look like, and then when that workshop was completed, when that lab was done, we then moved on with the company to actually develop the look and feel. So there are lots of different ways for labs to come into into being. And that particular one, I think, is a, is a really good example. Some of them are so complicated and messy, you have to do a lot of work up front to figure out what the real creative challenge is. It reminds me of one of your wow messages in the book, where you know the why, you create the what, and the rest will follow. That's right. But you've got to know the why. And frankly, a lot of people one of the things you have to do is shed agendas. When we do a creativity lab and people do laugh at me and they say, oh, there goes Randy, but you come into this lab and you put on a lab coat. When you come to our office or we go to your office, everybody wears a lab coat. We limited most of the time, unless it's an extenuating assignment, to six people from the client team. And frankly, if you have more than six people there, five of the other extra people are watching you work. You really, if the group size is not controlled and balanced at the beginning, it, you're not going to get as much work done. But everybody, regardless of, you know, desire, and everybody kind of loves these after a while, puts on a lab coat. You get goggles. And people joke, but I'm going to tell you something, Bill. Everybody around that table then is equal. Mm, interesting. That's I mean, I don't do anything without a real reason, and it's not just about the accessory, although the lab coats are incredibly cool. And, <laughs> you know, but, but it's, it's we are doctors. We are diagnosing. We are evaluating. We are scientists. We are searching with creativity to figure out the right thing to do. 
And it's a very managed process. And frankly, think about that. I'm harnessing creativity in those works in those workshops and labs. I'm harnessing creativity. I don't know where the outcomes are going to going to end. Sure, it's it's similar to how Franklin might have first controlled lightning and captured that from a, a kite string, and not knowing exactly what he's going to do with it, but he wanted to prove that he could harness it might be similar to, you know, being able to identify and isolate different aspects of resources or aspects of a problem that you could then form hypotheses about. Do you use a hypothesis model to say, here's what we ought to test with this design? That, that comes out. Oftentimes, though, what we, under, what we get to and what we unearth, Bill, is that there's an underlying set of priorities. We spend the beginning, before we even go into a lab, I have had a one-on-one interview with every single attendee. They know me. I know them. It gives me a sense of their points of resistance, if I'm going to have an eye roller in the room, if I'm going to have one person who's incredibly dominating of the conversation, what the agendas are, so that I can have some safety valves for when these things bubble up so that sometimes it's creative design therapy. I mean, when you think about it, we are there to kind of get underneath the issues to distill it down to, okay, gang, here's everything that I've heard from you. Is this what we want to build? And then we play a little bit of eye doctor, and you'd be amazed at how unified the outcomes can be. It's pretty powerful stuff. I think that people who get a small group together in a room with a specific objective to come out with making certain decisions, with making a plan to go forward, but who don't do the careful upfront work like you do, they are asking for trouble in probably, you know, being very blunt about it. Well, what's an example of a time when you had a situation, you were prepared for it, and were able to guide it to a more creative solution? than simply people maybe getting mad at each other and, and, you know, the communication breaking down. How are you able to balance that, play with it, or dance with it? Well, you're always dancing, Bill. That's number one. Uh, And I'm very quick on my feet, and I'm very quick in terms of being able to ask a question. Remember, a lot of people look for answers. The best way to get to the answers is to have the right question. I learn a great deal in these intake interviews that I I do, and I stand really firm. If somebody does not make the time or is so, so busy that they cannot connect before the lab begins, we very graciously say, then you really can't come. And invariably, you'd be amazed how 30 minutes opens up on their calendar. We Mm. bring the discipline as part of the service we bring. We bring the structure. We bring all the legwork. They're not talking to their boss. And what I say is, unlike your attorney, anything you say to me stays here. My goal is that everyone feels safe when they walk into that room. We're there to represent the project, the mission, the assignment, whatever we've been entrusted to untangle, unravel, and then reconstruct in a positive way using creativity. Because people bring us messy stuff. We were never the company that got the easy things. So what I would say to you is the way this process came to be is through many different situations where exactly what you described happened. Oh, 
somebody new walked in the room and sat down at the table, and I had no idea who they were. We were on their turf. Interesting. Okay, regroup. In other cases, people bolted from the meeting, and everything crumbled. Now, these aren't inexpensive, and it's our job to make sure that we put in these safety valves so our clients do get benefit. So that's why we bracket the two-day lab. And it is two days because I give everybody what I call overnight sensations. How many times have you been all enthusiastic at a marathon meeting, get back to that hotel room, you're exhausted, and then in the next minute, next morning, next, I don't know, maybe that wasn't such a good idea. Yeah, it seemed great over there, but now that I'm back at my desk, uh, I'm going to let that simmer, let somebody else take that on, or maybe this newfangled stuff will just go away. So we build in an overnight sensations because people always put up obstacles the next morning. And we break those down, we revisit them, we refine the idea, and we basically refilter it in real time. That's why it's a two-day lab. Well, like all of your design projects, the design of the lab is purposeful and elegant and I'm sure effective for those who participate. Well, thank you for saying that. We also do a heck of a lot of revision, just like we do in all of our other designs. You've got to be able to revise on the go. The minute It's like putting on a show. When the minute that curtain goes up, all rehearsals are over. But the more you've rehearsed, the more options you have, the more backup plans you have, just as you do with a design presentation. I never go in with one solution. People always make a better decision when they're given viable choices from which to make that decision. What do you think for business owners and people who are running small businesses, managing groups, what do you think is something that they often overlook in terms of tapping into the power of their creativity in order to be better business leaders? Oh, I think sometimes people get very tangled in the tactical. I think it's intimidating. Creativity is not something that a lot of people are comfortable with. And I think it's very easy to say, okay, we got a problem, let's have a meeting, okay, generate a few ideas, great, you explore this, you explore that. I've been to more meetings where the only thing that gets decided in the meeting is they need to have another meeting. It's very easy for business owners to hide behind the illusion of progress because that's faster. It's easier. Let's pull up and break this idea down or let's bat it around a little bit. Nuh-uh. You need to be able to apply some discipline, and sometimes, I'm going to tell you something, Bill, sometimes my best secret weapon is that I am not the CEO of their company. I'm the outside. What does that give you the ability to do? That gives me the ability to ask different questions. They don't report to me. I'm safer. I am an outside person who's coming in with a specific set of responsibilities but a lot of experience, and I have something that they may not have, which is I have the ear of the person, most typically the CEO, who hires me. And my job is to communicate with complete confidentiality, and I'll have CEOs say to me, oh, come on, Randy, tell me who said it. I'll bet I can guess. And I shut it right down because the bottom line is I gave my word that it would take it in confidence. And I say, what I'm doing here is distilling for you the kernels you need 
to know about in terms of what's going on in your organization. A lot of this goes far beyond creative design problem solving and uses creativity and problem solving for strategic business growth. That's what Creativity Labs does. Go into it without the expectation of a particular solution. And that's a really important starting point. What was an example of a Creativity Lab that you did where everyone was surprised at the outcome that came about because people really trusted the process? Oh, I can give you that one off the top of my head. That was very, very easy. We got a phone call to come to Boston. And it was like, hi, can you come over? I said, what do you mean? We need a lab. Okay. Can you give me something? No, and I need you here tomorrow. And I said, well, you're breaking every lab rule. I know, I know. And I had done labs with this group before, so Ah. I knew enough of the, as I called them, usual suspects to know who was going to be at the table. And we did a quick one-hour phone call. I said, let me call you back in a minute after I get a ticket. I booked my flight, packed my little goodie kit, and I said, what what are you, what, what are we doing? And, and. He looked at me, I was over the phone, he said, listen to me, I need you to make a thing. I said, a thing. you need me to make a thing. And I need you to come over tomorrow and bring that lab thing with you. And I said, well, then I need you to order breakfast and lunch. I'm going to come tonight. And I need to make sure that the right players in the room and we're going to focus. And, and I asked him to answer three questions for me in an email, which he did while I was flying. And what we ended up doing was we needed some kind of a, a, an engagement factor for a program. This happened to be in education again. It was for mathematics. And we needed very powerful games that would apply mathematics without the kids noticing they were really applying mathematics. But yet, there was no time for this component. There was no budget for this component. And there were no resources to produce it, but everyone was able to spend a day and say, we need a thing. And these are all parameters for creativity. Mm. Anyone could create games with a million dollars in, you know, two years. Anyone could create it with unlimited resources. We had to figure out how to create something that they could produce economically, effectively, on time and that would solve the educational problem with educational soundness. This is something that even people who are not in education, there are business leaders out there who deal in professional service firms, who deal in different industries, and they struggle with problems just like this, where they're given limited amounts of time and budget and resources and need to come through with something creative. I get phone calls all the time with trade shows. Randy, we we need a lab. We've got a trade show. It's coming up in 60 days. We don't have a clue. Oh, and we spent all the money. And we haven't quite told our boss yet. Okay. Normally, another time I'll get a call very much on the same kind of wavelength from the CEO who says, I just saw what my team is planning for this trade show, and I have hundreds and thousands of dollars tied up in this, and the sales potential sales revenue is huge, and I don't love it. And then we begin. And that's a careful one because when I come in and the internal team has already done work, that's job one for me. I'm not coming in as the outside bad cop. I'm coming in with very clear glasses to look at what's been done, to understand why suddenly nobody's happy, 
and to see if there are not pieces and parts. Sometimes I do what I call a search and salvage mission, which is my job is to come in and say, okay, how much of what has been done can we continue to utilize? Money's been spent, time's been burned, egos are at stake. Mm -hmm. That's a big part of the job. And very often I will be able to look at it and say, wait a minute, this little piece over here is just delicious. What if we call it this? What if this comes over here and we add, let's make a product that says this tagline on it and I can get you 5,000 of these in 10 days. I mean, that's one of the things my other company does, which is why we get so many trade shows, is we also can produce the merchandise for them in rapid-fire turn. So we do the messaging, the design. We take what they have created. Very often, I'll get a PowerPoint deck that has 82 slides in it that was developed by the internal team. And And they're supposed to present it in 15 minutes. (laughs) Well, basically, my job is to put it on a diet and make sure that the type is not four-point. And nobody should be reading a PowerPoint. PowerPoints should tell a background story so their eyes are on you. And so, Randy, when you go into groups like this, especially teams that have invested a lot of time, energy, and, and resources, what do you do to help diffuse the natural defensiveness that some of the team members might be feeling? How do you come in to say, look, we're looking to work together and changes need to be made And it's going to really be to everyone's benefit and overcome that skepticism they may have. Well, I'll give give you one of them. In in the book, wow number 69 is respect is never optional. Bottom line is if I I am walking in there for a two-day period, I am not on their core team. They are there every day. They probably had some very, very good reasons for the decisions that they made. They were probably told things. Maybe they didn't verify them. Maybe they didn't understand them. But frankly, people are there to do a great job. I don't know many people who say, yeah, I'm going to work today, and I'm just going to do a really bad job because I don't care and I don't want to do a good job. That doesn't happen. I mean, sometimes the outcome isn't what you expect, but I genuinely think the people around that table, they deserve my respect. And is that enough in your experience to often overcome that? Is there more that needs to be done to really bridge that gap especially when you're walking in for the first time? Well, there's a lot that needs to be done. And one of the things that I always look at is something somebody taught me a long, long time ago, which is there are an awful lot of ways to be right. It doesn't have to just be your way. And that's where the creativity comes in. When I come in late in the game, to help untangle a mess. Look, people come to CoraCore for three reasons. They come when they know they need something, but they don't know what it is. They come when they know what they need, but they know they don't have enough time or money to build it. Or they come to us when they've already made something and they know what they've made is actually a mess. That's when they call us. That's when they're really willing to turn around and say, okay, I'm going to write a check because I know I need this kind of a fix. When we go into that, there are a lot of ways to be right. One of the ways for me to be right is to utilize whenever possible, work that's already been done. Because when people are, for example, like the PowerPoint deck, it doesn't have to be all 80 slides. 
but they have to see something that they worked on in there. And they should, because just because I might see it differently or I might like it in a different way, it doesn't mean I know their business the way they do. And I have to look for the why underneath the decisions that were made. And usually that lets me preserve a lot of what's been done, which is not only respectful, not only basically diffuses any kind of tension like that. It's really smart business because that company's already invested in that work. Right. In one of your other axioms or one of your other wows, um, you talk about how gratitude builds confidence. And I think an aspect of gratitude is acknowledgement and recognition. Would you agree with that? I would agree with that a thousand percent. We all need some external verification that we're on the right track. And I'm going to tell you something. Gratitude is a really big deal to me, Bill, and it's a big deal because when you are grateful, think about it. Can you be angry? No, it's not. doesn't fit. If you can stop and look around and be grateful. When I see work that's already been done, I'm immediately grateful for it because invariably I don't have a lot of time and money to work with for my client. If I can utilize what they've already done, that's part of my creative problem solving. It also helps me because we, my team doesn't have to go back and reinvent the wheel. And I'm grateful for the talent that's around that table because if I can engage them, which is my job, I can help them to carry that through, like the Lone Ranger, once my job is done here. They need to be able to say, okay, I remember that from that meeting. Next time, I'm going to do X. That's adding value and residual benefit to a company that makes an investment with a team like ours. That's probably why you're called to Boston, because they had that experience with you and knew that you not only brought creative expertise, but created an environment where the solution could emerge. That's right. I, I genuinely believe that's true with our clients, and and they they know us. Those who don't know us know us by word of mouth, and invariably when they have, we have what I call an exploratory call. When somebody wants to do a lab, they'll call our office and they'll talk to Dennis or Alexis, et cetera, just to get connected in, but then they've got to talk to me directly. I need to hear where they are. And by the end of that phone call, most of the time, I mean, very rarely, I, I, we had one, one exploratory where somebody finally decided they were just going to shelve the whole thing, and that one didn't come to fruition. But they did call us later when they were ready to begin something new. Invariably, the connection, the security, we put out there what we do and what we don't do. And that respect shown to that CEO, that's a tough phone call to make when you're the CEO. Hi, I need a hand here. I think we need some creativity. The team I hired, I inherited, I work with every day, it's not working. You know what? That's huge, and that's tough. I need to be able to hear that and reassure them that they dialed the right number. Mm -hmm. So, Randy, you are a very busy person coming up with ideas, meeting with clients, writing books, giving presentations. Is there a particular tool or process that you use that could be of benefit to our listeners that helps you stay on track and be productive? Well, unfortunately, the one that I use is not one I recommend to anyone, Bill, which is I don't sleep a lot. And that's not a good way to do this. 
Um, I have a very organized team. I am a chronic list maker, and I have an innate, what do I want to say, sense of prioritization. Now, I also have a very strong team behind me that makes sure that I am pointed in the right direction, that I'm getting on the right airplane, that I have the right materials. But it's about trusting that you're hiring people who really are there to complement your strengths. I know I'm the idea generator. I know I run many of these major labs. I know that if I'm going to write a book, I'm the one writing it and designing it and doing those pieces and parts. The creative expression is what I do, the big ideas and the way to execute those. But there's a lot more resource that's required. You know, I I need people who are really, really top-notch integrators of, of these ideas, who make sure that everything gets done on time. And, and I'm fortunate enough to have that. So the, I, the information that I would share with other listeners who, who run at 90 miles an hour is make sure you have the right team and make sure you give them room to do what it is you hired them to do. Not always easy. I don't always manage it as beautifully as I would love you to believe I do. But <laughs> have the right rock stars. And that's taken a long time. Randy, when you were starting out, I bet you that there was a time, as you look back now, as your the business that you were running, the creative design business, was growing, and you suddenly look back and you see that there was a turning point, a point where you knew it was going to achieve the vision that you had created for it. Do you remember what that time was? Well, that's a really interesting question, Bill, because I'll tell you, I started the business in my basement. I had $57, literally. My refrigerator died and my cat died on the first day. I hung oh. my shingle in the basement. And I, 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 so I didn't have money. I paid the vet bill. I had a credit card. And people would say to me, oh, well, that's fine. So you'll just do this little thing and you'll freelance until, you know, maybe a job will come along. Uh, what? The scary <laughs> part for me, and I, I don't say this with any grandiose, I think I was just plain potentially stupid, but it didn't occur to me it wouldn't work. And the reason for that was it had to work. I had to make these businesses grow. I had to take the risk, but that didn't scare me. I will tell you that I did have an inkling that maybe I was on the right direction when all these people who told me, "Hmm, have a good time, honey, you just go ahead and do that, suddenly wanted in. Suddenly, in what way? In what way? Oh, I'd love to work for you. Ah. Really? And, you know, I knew all along you were going to make it. Oh, really? And, you know, you're so lucky. You know, I'm up at 2 o'clock in the morning to this day still making my own luck. Mm. You know, it, when hard work meets preparation, that's when you get yes, lucky. Yes, and I'm going to tell you, it's great to have wonderful ideas, but if you can't execute on the idea, you're an inventor. You're not a, you're not a simultaneous entrepreneur. Entrepreneurs take ideas and make them into actionable results that make a difference for others. That's what I do. Well, Randy, you also have in, in your book um, another wow that I'm going to quote which is turn your fear into fuel. And the story you just told about not being afraid of how you're going to make that vision come to reality epitomizes that where you said, well, 
it could be scary, or I could be really focused and determined. And that's the tack that you took. And oftentimes, for listeners, it really is just making a choice, a decision about what approach you're going to take in facing a fear, in taking action in order to grow your business. And that's an example that, that you just share with us, Randy, that I think is so valuable. Well, and one thing I will tell you about that, it wasn't that I didn't have fears. I was terrified, but I kept sure. going. I kept going because not achieving this was not an option. I had to make it work. And it was being in touch with that passion that helped you helped stay focused. Yes, it did. Well, Brandy, you have been so incredibly generous, and I really appreciate you sharing with me on my quest for the best today. You talked about wonderful experiences you had with your mother about letting you know you could be anything you set your mind to and that you needed to earn your own living. So it became a filter for you to think through in the ways that you applied your creativity. And, of course, the, the famous refrigerator gallery where everything you had was refrigerator worthy. And you, you knew, um, knew the importance, and you shared with us um, that you always knew the creative process and the question that you bring to clients when they come to you that helps really clarify things is asking and making sure you understand the why and what problem that they're trying to solve. Right. It's and what are we building and why. Yes. It's so crucial as a creativity expert. And all that you shared about the labs and the process and the preparation you do in order to help your clients achieve extraordinary outcomes. I want to thank you for sharing with us on my quest for the best, Randy. Well, it was my pleasure, and I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity to talk with you today. It was awesome. It was. These were my very favorite subjects, Bill. The business, creativity, you hit all my high points of the book. So yes. thank you. It was a pleasure. If you think of people who, are, who have listened to this interview, what's one thing that you want to share with them to either reinforce from what we discussed or to add that would just make it that much more valuable for them to have stayed to the end of this interview? What would it be? Well, number one, as an individual, I hope you'll pick up a copy of 99 Creative Wilds for Business to tap into your next adventure. I hope that it's inspiring to you. If you are running any sort of a business or high up on the food chain in a, in a big entity and you run into problems that you think creativity could benefit, I, I would love it if you would want to give us a phone call to explore the Creativity Lab because CoraCore really can bring some value to your table using what's already at your table. And what's a way for people to find out more about the work that you do and your book? Do you have websites for each? I, well, now, Bill, do I have websites? That sounds like Fanny Bryce saying, can I roller skate? <laughs> yes, I do have websites. First of all, you can buy the book on Amazon. You can also check out the book at 99wows.com. For our business side, it's just coracore.com and you go right to the website and you'll see the creativity lab right there on the menu bar you can even send a note that gets directly to me at three o'clock in the morning and i get a lot of them because if you're a ceo and you're awake and you've got a problem you want to take action right then and there you can just fill this out and it gets right to me and i will see it on my phone the moment my eyes open and I think I'll just put a warning in there for people who are listening. Don't be surprised that you could send it, but you might be a bit taken back at the time that the reply arrives. Oh, no, no, I would never do that. 
never do that because I know once you send it, you're probably going to feel well and go to sleep. And I have to digest it and do my homework too. So you'll hear from me the next day during business hours. How does that sound? There you go. Well, actually, their business hours. Mine are 24-7. You were right about that. Hi, this is Bill. Before you go, I just want to ask you a quick favor. If you've enjoyed this interview on My Quest for the Best, I'd love it if you'd go to iTunes, look up My Quest for the Best, and subscribe. I want to make sure you don't miss the very next episode we have coming up. We've got a lineup of terrific guests, and I know that if you enjoyed this one, you'll like what you find coming up soon. Also, feel free to give it a comment, a like, because we work hard to put these interviews together, and I'd appreciate making sure that we're reaching you and serving you in the, the best way possible. I look forward to reading your comments, and catch you on the next interview. Thanks so much.